You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you have your copy of Scripture, let's turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going to get back into Mark's gospel. I am so excited to spend some time with you in Mark's gospel. I'm going to read this passage to you. And before I pray, I'm going to, I'm going to say a, a few short words and, and sort of guide our prayer in an unusual direction for just a moment. I think you'll all appreciate why. But let's hear from God's word because ultimately today we need God's word to speak to our hearts. We need to resolve today. We need to make some resolutions today that we are going to be a people who set our minds on the things of God. We are going to set our minds on the things of God and watch God do some incredible things. So if you will please stand with me as we stand together on the solid rock of God's word. I want you to notice in Mark chapter 8 verse 27 these words. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." Friends, before I pray, let me say this. I know that today in our world, we turned on our television set this morning perhaps and we watched the news or we opened up our app and read the newspapers and we know that there's an escalation. There are a lot of soldiers that are uh, starting to, to head towards the Middle East. Some of you may even have family members that are heading that way. What's happening, happening in Iraq and Iran could turn into something big. But I want to say this to you. We want to pray for all of those involved But I want you to hear this. We need to set our minds on the things of God, not the things of men. See, what the news is talking about are the geopolitical realities of war. But I want to tell you, God has been doing a great work of revival in Iran the last couple of years. And here's what I'm going to pray for right now. Yes, that our our loved ones and our military folks will be kept out of harm's way. But I am praying that what the world is seeing as a potential war, we will see as something God is doing to bring many souls to salvation in his name. Let's pray for this to be a revival that takes root in Iran and comes on over and brings some revival to America because we need it too. Let's pray. God, we believe that you are able to do all things. And I pray, God, that we will set our minds on the things of God. And we will believe that even in these trying times in which we live, that if we are faithful, we can watch you move. We pray, Lord, that you will put a a hedge of protection around our servicemen and women. And we pray, Lord, that there are many souls in Iran and Iraq that will be calling to you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and Savior in the days to come. 
God, we pray you will open our eyes to something beautiful, something big that you're doing in the world and help us to be a part of it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's continue in the days ahead to pray. Pray for our world, pray for our nation, and pray for God's will to be done. But friends, let me put it to you simple. If you fail to set your mind on the things of God, your mind will let you down. One of the biggest mistakes I think we're making as Christians in our age is because we are a literate uh, uh, culture, because we have books and we have sermons we can listen to online, we have all the information uh, that we could ever want, more information than any generation has ever had. The problem with that is, is that we begin to depend more on our minds instead of on the mind of God. So we need to be careful there. We need to realize that if we don't put our minds, if we don't set our minds on the things of God, we will have a moment like Peter did here. Now notice how it happens. Peter begins by being spot on, 100% right. When Jesus asks the question, who am I? Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ. And so he gets 100 on his, on his exam. On his midterm, he gets, a, he gets 100% A. But then the final comes, and we see that Jesus begins to talk about his upcoming suffering and death. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. And so what we see there is, is that in his finals, Peter failed. In just a matter of a few moments, perhaps, a man goes from being 100% right to 100% wrong. You see, that's what happens when we fail to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what happens when we begin to use this instead of allowing God's word to change this. We are all susceptible to this potential problem and we must never assume that we can figure God out. We must open our hearts to receive Jesus on his term and never on our own terms. In the days to come, we are going to be talking about here um, in Mark. This is our last sub-series in Mark. And we're going to talk about the main mission. And that is redeeming lost sheep. God wants to work through Ridgecrest to lead people to salvation. We want to see people saved. Amen. We want to see people gloriously changed by the gospel. And in these last chapters that we're going to go through in Mark, we're going to hear the heart of our Savior as he gives us our main mission, our marching orders. And he is calling us to reach out and be a part of the redemption of lost sheep. Every problem that humanity has, has its solution in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Please say yes. All of you? Amen. There is nothing better. There is no other way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem in the world. Let those who are leaders in our nation and leaders around the world try to figure out the problems of the world. They can do all they, they can. But hear me, lives are only truly transformed and changed when Jesus gets a hold of us. And I'd like for Jesus to start by getting a hold of us, the church. 
Because we're asking God to save people, but for many of us, it's been a long time since we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's been a long time since we have shared the gospel in the power of God. We need the Spirit to fill us. We need to not just say with our mouths that we believe the gospel, but we need to live the gospel. We need to be the church that's on fire for the kingdom. And what's funny about this is that to really be on fire for, for Jesus, we just have to rest in Jesus. Let me give you a little analogy. Imagine that you're in a boat. And in that boat, uh, it's a sailboat, so you have a sail. You also have oars so that you could paddle. And in our modern age, you even have a motor in case you want to turn that on. You have all those different ways to propel yourself forward. But God speaks to you and says, just let the current carry you. I think the problem with the church today is, is we've been given many good gifts. We have sails to unfurl. We have oars to row. And we have motors that can run. But we have forgotten how to let the Spirit of God move us in the direction he would have us go. We need to surrender to the power of God because it is only the power of God that will in, inspire the people of God to change the world for the kingdom of God. We need the power of God. And we can talk about New Year's resolutions all day long, but what I'm going to ask you to do is to set your mind on the things of God this year. You can make all the promises you want, but here's the thing. You need to be the man or the woman of God that you've been called to be. Rest in that and let God carry you forward. This is a time, I think, the new year as we start off. If you're anything like me, it's a time of restlessness. Um, it's kind of like on January 1. It's one of those moments where we kind of look back and we say, wow, you know, last year could have been better. Or, or, you know, I don't like the direction my life's been going the last couple of years. I want to change that. That kind of restlessness is, is not all bad. But I fear that many of our resolutions that we make on January 1 are formulated out of restlessness. We formulate our resolutions out of restlessness. And when that's the way we are acting, I'm afraid it is true that we're going to miss what God wants for us. So here's my challenge to you. Even if you're feeling that restlessness, even if you're feeling as a Christian, I need to do this and I need to do that. Listen to me. Before you do anything... Rest in Jesus. Allow him to speak to you. Hear him speak to you from his word because restlessness, if we're not careful, leads to rebellion. And I think this passage of scripture is uh, exhibit A of that reality. Peter understands that Jesus is the Christ, but he wants Christ to do things his way. He's restless wanting the kingdom of God to come in a way that is understandable to his human mind. He can't imagine a spiritual kingdom. He has to trust in Jesus to reveal that. But he does understand a worldly kingdom, and so he gets restless. And he makes a request. He rebukes Jesus in a way that's very unhealthy, very much a sin. And so today, it's just so interesting that this would be the text that we're looking at because I think it really summarizes where so many of us are. Many of us, we want to do something good for God, but our spirits are restless. And that is not the time to move forward with God because when we're restless, usually we're trying to do things our way. Church, listen to me. We need to do things God's way. We need to find his will for us as individuals, but for us 
corporately, as a church. We need to know the will of God. We must set our minds on the things of God. And so today I want to give you just a couple of redemptive resolutions. Now, obviously, many of you have already made resolutions. And so for the next two weeks, you'll be at the gym. (laughs) Only thing I have to say about that is, is you get in my way. Because I'm there all year long. Okay? So hurry up and get your two weeks resolutions out of the way. My my point is this. Resolutions like that are for weak-minded people. But I'll talk about that another time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there's nothing wrong with resolutions. Resolutions actually, I think, are healthy. But we need to make sure that they are redemptive resolutions. Redemptive resolutions. That's what we want. We want redemptive resolutions. So let's just look at a couple of those that I think flow naturally from our text today and can help us really this year to resolve to be the church and the people of God that we've been called to be. The first one is very simple. We need to resolve that Jesus is the Christ. That's not complicated. Now here in Mark's gospel, the eighth chapter, the 27th verse, if the gospel of Mark has a hinge, here it is. This is the midpoint, not exactly, but in terms of thematically, it is the middle of the book. We begin to see a complete shift uh, towards the cross and towards the resurrection. Obviously in this passage, Jesus is talking about that. He's being very open now. Up until this point, he's not been as open about his messianic mission. He hasn't connected his ministry with Isaiah 53 as clearly as he will from this point forward. But from this point forward, we're really going to see Jesus describing to the disciples and subsequently to us as we walk through Mark's gospel together, who he is. And Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples on the way to Caesarea Philippi. He is beginning to open up a door for them. Now, now let's just get this straight this morning. I know many of you are followers of Christ. You've been following Christ for a long time. But don't ever think that there isn't something more you need to know about Jesus. You need to walk with him and talk with him because he's always got something better for your life. And here we see that these are believers and followers of Jesus, and yet they need to know more about him. They need to understand him more fully. You are in the same boat today. And so Jesus asked this powerful question, who do people say that I am? Now notice Jesus doesn't bother with asking a question like, what do people see me doing? No, he doesn't ask that. He asks a question of being. He wants the disciples to realize that the real secret of the mystery is not learning what to do, but learning who to follow. When we know who to follow, it is then flowing from that that we will know what to do. Too often in Christianity, we're so busy and restless, we're trying to get to the gym to do something that we don't ask the question, is this really what's best for my body now? And I want to say spiritually, it's the same way. Everybody wants to to get busy in ministry before they've really learned how to appreciate God and worship how to really experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we need you filled with the Holy Spirit. You and your witness, you may have all the answers. You may be the best in apologetics the world has ever seen. You might be able to share Christ better than anybody, but if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no results there. You need the Spirit of God working. Only the Spirit of God convicts. Who do people say that I am? It is a question of faith. Now let me just say that, that this dialogue takes place in Caesarea Philippi. 
This is spiritual no man's land. It's not exactly um, there in, in the traditional boundaries of Jerusalem or of, uh, of Israel. And, and it's kind of just outside of that, more in a pagan area. This particular area back in Jesus' day, it was well known as a center of worship for the Greek god Pan, which, by the way, would be the god that many people in our world today are, are following. Pan just means all or everything. So anything goes. We live in a world where, where there are a lot of people who are spiritual, but it's a anything goes kind of spirituality in the end. People want to follow after their own hearts instead of after God. So it's interesting that this question, who do, who do you say that I am, takes place in a spiritual no man's land. We need to understand that for us to be able to make a difference in our culture, we need to have a clear answer for who Christ is. We need to be able to say, the Christ is the one who died for my sins and rose again. We need to have a clear picture of Christ. We need to be able to tell people who Jesus is. Notice what the disciples do. They don't say who Jesus is other than Peter. They, they describe what Jesus is like. He's like John the Baptist or like Elijah or like one of the prophets there in verse 28. But hear this. Jesus, the Son of God, cannot be adequately defined apart from himself. Jesus is one of a kind. He is the only begotten, right? John three sixteen. He is the only one of his kind. There never has been and there never will be anyone like Jesus. It is important for us to see that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need to resolve this in our hearts. We cannot allow for anything to cloud our vision. The heresies of the early church, the heresies of the church today are all aimed at one thing, and that is to lessen who Christ is. And in a world that wants to lessen who Christ is, that it is imperative for us as the church to make more of Christ. Every opportunity we get, we need to make more of Christ. The world will try to make less of him but we shall make more of him. We must make sure that we are allowing the scriptures to define who Christ is, and we need to dedicate our lives to the Christ of scripture, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to not allow our vision of Jesus to be clouded one bit. The first resolution for 2020, we need to resolve that our life is forfeit to the one who forfeited his life for us. We must give our best to Christ, the Lord, our Savior. Now, the second thing I want to show you, and the second resolution that we can make, is that we resolve to hear the plain teaching of Scripture. Jesus does more than redefine terms for us. He redefines our reality. I want you to get this into your mind because as Christ followers, we are not just uh, taking one religious path of many. We are taking what Jesus himself said was the only way. And we can't water that down either. We can't cloud that vision either. We must make sure that everything that we are believing and, and investing in as human beings is shaped by the will of God and by the word of God. 
Now, this sounds so obvious. I've already, I've told you to resolve that, that Jesus is the Christ. And here it seems like, again, obvious. I'm telling you to just surrender your heart to the plain teachings of Scripture. But this is not as easy as it sounds. It is sometimes hard to say, not my will, but thy will be done. So what happens is, is that as human beings, we have our thoughts and, and we have our ways and we, we've, we've thought through things and sometimes our thoughts become very, you know, uh, we're very proud of our thoughts. We're, we're very confident in what we've learned. And those things begin to shape and color even how we are reading God's word. The older we get, I hope, <laughs> I hope for all of us, we get a little bit wiser. But I hope you don't turn into a wise guy where you think you've got things figured out more than what God's word says. And I, I have to tell you that, that as I've witnessed, not just in history, but even in our contemporary world and what happens in schools, what happens in denominations, is that we just get to a point where we think we're more clever than what God's word has to say. We, we start to listen to the philosophers and, the, and, and the, 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 the professors and those in academics who are telling us, well, this, this is a better thought. This is a more true truth. And what begins to happen in our hearts is, is, is we don't mean to, but we drift further and further away from the obvious teachings of the Scripture. And the further we get away from the teachings of the Scripture, the further we get away from the power of the Holy Spirit. If we want the power of God, we have to receive the power of God on his terms. Jason K. Allen, who is the president at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote a beautiful little book called Letters to My Students. Um, he, he sort of borrowed that idea from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon did the same thing about 100 years before Dr. Allen. But he says this in his book. I think it's really good. The bottom line is this, is that if you feel the need to offer a naked, this is just my opinion, what follows probably is not worth offering anyway. This is just my opinion. If you have a really good brother or sister in Christ that loves you a lot, they're probably going to say, you know, you might want to just stop right there. Because it's not good enough. We need more than opinions. We need the word of God. And we need to realize that our spiritual instincts are damaged by the fall. Your mind, if you are a believer, let's say you've been walking with Jesus for many decades, don't think that your mind is incapable of mistakes. You are very culpable to those mistakes. There are times when you're going to get it wrong. And the only way you'll know if you're wrong is when the word confronts you with where you're wrong. We must stay in the word because the word becomes a true north. It becomes a way of keeping us on the right path. It keeps us from making these mistakes where our opinions begin to supersede the plain meaning of the text. God's word is paramount. And we must know God on his terms, not our own. I'm not saying this to be mean or, or to say that your opinion doesn't matter. But when your opinion is contrary to the word of God, you need to resolve to let go of your opinion and grab hold of the word of God. 
The plain teaching of Scripture is our only hope of knowing God. And if you look in verses 31 through 32, let me tell you, Jesus speaks plainly in these verses. He teaches plainly that the Son of Man must suffer many things, verse 31, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this, notice what it says, verse 32a, and he said this plainly. He spoke in plain language. Now, you would think that if Jesus is speaking plainly, that Peter would hear it correctly. But Peter, instead of listening to the plain teaching of Jesus, here's a man who's a Christ follower. Here's a man who loves Jesus an awful lot, okay? But here's a man who begins to interject his opinions between him and his Savior. Did you see that? Jesus is telling him what's going to happen. Peter doesn't like the way the story is being told, and he wants to change the story so that the story fits his worldview, his ideas, his philosophy a little bit better. I'm telling you, this is the problem we all face, where we begin to think that our plan for our lives and our plan for the church is better than God's. We must always submit to his word, and we must always allow our opinions to die so that his word can live. Isaiah 53, for instance, also Psalm 118, other verses like that in the Old Testament make it clear that that the Messiah was going to come and suffer. If Peter was paying attention to those passages, he would have been able to see very plainly that God had purpose from the beginning that Jesus was going to come and suffer and die. But he had not seen those things because he had a different vision of who Christ was. Each one of us, we have to get rid of those other visions and surrender completely to Jesus. Plain and to the point, verse 31, I will suffer, I will die, I will rise again in three days. That is what Jesus teaches us. That's the foundation of the gospel. It is shocking but simple, sad but true, and Peter doesn't want to hear it. Have you had a moment, have you had one of those moments in your life where God's word so clearly collided with you? And in a second, you knew that you had a sin in your life that had to be dealt with. It is never a comfortable feeling. To have that collision shakes the soul. But when the plain teaching of Scripture confronts you in a sin, there is only one thing you can do, and that is repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Don't make excuses. Don't try to be clever. Just bow before Jesus. Confess that sin, and he will set you free. Only the plain teachings of Scripture can do that. You must resolve not to let hard truth keep you from holy living. Hard truth will shape you and keep you from making those mistakes. The only path that leads to holiness uh, comes through the word of God. And so the final thing that we need to resolve to do is we need to rest in the things of God. I said earlier that our New Year's resolutions are often expressions of our restlessness. We, we make those resolutions because we want to do something. We want to change something. But here's the thing. We can't do something or change something unless there's a change inside of our hearts. 
Human beings have a modicum of discipline. Like I was joking with you earlier, you say you're going to start going to the gym in the new year, and so your discipline lasts about two weeks. Okay, that's, that's what you got. Now, some of you are maybe more disciplined, and you might last two months. But if you're really serious about change, there has to be something that just ticks inside of you. Something like, it, I don't know how to describe it other than it's like an awakening in your heart. All of a sudden, something that you couldn't have done before, now you can do. That's because God is doing it through you. You are more in tune, at least in this context, of doing what God wants than doing what you've wanted to do. Here in this passage, we see some interesting things. What's really interesting is that Jesus says there, if you'll notice in verse 32 and following, um, it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus rebukes Jesus, which, by the way, don't do that. Just a little friendly advice from your pastor, don't rebuke Jesus, okay? That's not a good thing to do. But notice what Jesus does. He looks and he sees that the other disciples are watching. And he realizes that it's not just Peter's soul that's in danger now, but so is, is, is theirs as well. All of the disciples are in serious danger. And so Jesus has to clarify what's going on. I'll also mention to you that some would say that this is just a continuation of the temptation of Jesus from the wilderness. And now he's having the temptation come at him um, through Peter. You know, Satan attacked him in the wilderness and that was a, a big battle. But I wonder if this wasn't even more of a battle because it was through Peter. Satan was working through Peter. Listen, Peter was a good man, but it shows us that even those of us who are Christ followers, when we get our eyes off of the scriptures, when we fail to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the devil can do damage through us. That ought to humble each and every one of us. Not one of us in this room has moved beyond the devil's reach in terms of influencing us to be a negative impact to those around us. You are not immune from spiritual warfare. And the only tool you have in your toolbox is to resolve to do the things of God, to allow the Spirit to move in your heart, to not allow restlessness to lead to rebellion. You must make the things of God the most important things in your life. I understand what it means to be restless. I know what it means to carry heavy burdens. Most of us in this room, if we are Christ followers, we want to do right. We want to trust in Jesus and follow him. But we need to be honest. There are days when we're not. So what do we do? The commentator William Lane says, the way of the cross is the will of God. So let me just say it to you this way. How do we do the things of God? Well, we look to the cross and we realize that to be a follower of Christ means that we're not trying to, to be the boss. We're just, we're just going to humble ourselves before Jesus. The way of the cross is the way of suffering. It is the way of humility. It's the way of dying to what you want so that you can do what God has called you to do. We must see the cross as the way forward. That's one way that we can make sure we stay in the things of God. Another commentator, James Edwards, put it, puts it this way. What the world sees as unthinkable, the Son of God dying, for instance, is what God's Word declares as inevitable. So here's another thing to think about. To do the things of God, don't listen 
to what the world says we can and cannot do, but look to the word and believe in the power of God. The world would tell you that one person dying 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross has no impact on the world today, but you and I, if we are followers of Christ, we know that's not true. We know that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is still to this day changing lives. It is inevitable that if a person humbles their heart before the cross of Christ, he will save them and change their lives forever. That is inevitable. But we need to believe that. Listen, we're not asking in this new year for you to take it easy. I think we all need to commit to one another that we do what's hard. St. Augustine put it this way. For what seems hard, love makes easy. And would you think about that for a moment. To turn from the ways of the world is unnatural. The natural path is to follow the ways of the world. The unnatural spiritual path is to take God's word seriously and live your life 100% according to the word of God and the will of God. How can we do that? Well, love is what makes it easy. When we love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul, we can do all of these things for Jesus. So ultimately, when it all boils down to its essence, if we want to do the things of God, we must find Christ's love and stay there. Live our lives in such a way that God's love flows from us. So church, as we go into this new year, if we're going to be a part of the main mission of the Savior to reach souls, to see people saved, I'm going to tell you, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be filled with love. And we look around in our world and we see a lot of obstacles. It looks like it's going to be hard to reach this world. But listen, when you are full of love, all things are made possible. Let's ask God to fill us with his love, to consecrate us for this mission. Let's resolve to do the things of God in 2020. Amen. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.